This is Almost 107, a Fanshawe College Journalism student podcast. Get real. Mental health is a topic of discussion and a challenge for many who deal with it on a daily basis. Nearly 10% of the entire global population suffers some sort of mental disorder. From addiction to dementia to schizophrenia, it's almost 1 billion people affected in the world. Our topic of discussion in today's podcast is abuse and addiction and how to cope with it. If you are amongst the millions affected and is looking for hope and a way to cure yourself, then this episode may be a light at the end of your tunnel. I'm your host, Felipe Brenner, for this episode on Almost 107. I'll be joined today by my guest, Brittany Baker, an artist who saw her life and dreams stop before her eyes as she faced a long battle with addiction. Our hurdle in that process that was the key to my sobriety is I got involved with the RAM clinic and a program called Suboxone that is mentioned in the article. I would call Suboxone a cure for opiate addiction within 30 days. And it's just like, it got rid of that monkey on my back that tells me to use and put poison in my body. Finally, after 10 years, was silenced. We'll get right into your story. Can you, can you talk, uh, take us back a little bit and, and, and talk a little bit about how it, it all started and uh, how you ended up on the streets. My story all started with a trauma. Uh, during my second year of university, I was violently sexually assaulted um, and went to the hospital for treatment and I left with a prescription for pain medication. I tried to manage going to university all the while suppressing my trauma, the reasons for using in the first place. And for the next 10 years, things got worse. Uh, I didn't finish my thesis year at university. My attacker robbed me of that. But I found myself living on the streets of Toronto and London. And it was hard, but it could have been a lot harder for me. Um, there were people along the way who definitely helped to keep me safe. I would even go so far as to mention a counselor at the Center of Hope um, who took kind of like one look at me at registration and was just like, you don't belong here. Um, you're too fresh, you're too new, and realized that I was in a place that people did take advantage of other people out of desperation and found uh, through other agencies in London a safe place for me to stay. So it was tough, but it could have been a lot harder and it is a lot harder for other people. Absolutely. What, what would you say were some of your, your biggest uh, challenges out there at that stage of your life? Um, really, it was knowing where to go for help and what kind of services were available to me and really what I needed. Um, London has 63 agencies of support out there, and I was kind of doing the same three or four over and over again, but I was unable to maintain long-term sobriety because not one place met all my needs. I had to get real. I had to get honest about the real reason I was using it in the first place. And you have to talk about it. You have to keep talking about it until it stops hurting. I went to doctors, counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, ministers, pharmacists. I talked to anybody and everybody who would listen until I got better. Okay. At what point uh, did you decide that you know, th this is not for me. This is not where I belong. I want to change and I want to do what I really love. And and what, when was that turning point? And, and what was 
going through your mind? Um, so in my recovery journey, when I started to um, get to the bottom of my rock bottom, I found myself uh, very, very sick. I had two extensive long hospital stays, totaling 152 days and nights in the CCTC and the ICU. The first thing you got to do when you find yourself at the bottom of a hole is stop digging. Take a good look around and realize how you got there and then grieve that process of who you were and get ready for the transformation of who you want to become. Um, I had to change everything. And it's just like, I had to change that part of me, that stage of thinking. I had to change my playgrounds, my playmates, my playthings, my clothes, my hair, my diet, my sleeping habits, all with professional support. And it helped me become the woman that I am today. Wow. All right. Uh, and can you can you talk a little bit more about uh, that that process of, uh, of of leaving the streets and and overcoming your your addictions and um, what was that process like? Um, the streets of Toronto and London are hard, but I'm aware of like other locations in Canada that it is really tough, such as like Vancouver and Ottawa that we are hearing about. Um, my recovery journey took place when um, I refer to it as the great divide. And it's just like when mental health and addiction were two separate things and they were treated separately. Um, both addiction services and CMHA have combined in the last year, but with any kind of government services, they've actually been getting ready for this for five years, maybe even longer. And I was beginning to take those phases of recovery during that time when the two things were starting to come together. When that was the game changer that changed for me, um, that really helped. But a hurdle in that process that was the key to my sobriety is I got involved with the RAM clinic and a program called Suboxone that is mentioned in the article. I would call Suboxone a cure for opiate addiction within 30 days. And it's just like, it got rid of that monkey on my back that tells me to use and put poison in my body. Finally, after 10 years was silenced. This was a blessing, a miracle and a huge change. The problem with it is um, due to government regulations because Suboxone and Methadone and Naltrexone are controlled substances, we cannot advertise it. So you're not gonna see Suboxone on the side of a bus. You're not gonna see flyers or advertisements in the London Free Press or in the Londoner or around Fanshawe for this service. But I absolutely stand behind it. And it is a program. They ask for a one-year commitment. I've seen people that tried to do the fast track with the doctors and it didn't end up working. What works about the program, it is medication and counseling combined. That is the program. And being in that environment with other people that were coming there on their first day that have been there for a while, um, going through this and then coming out the other end and saying like, wow, I wish I could get on a blowhorn and tell everybody about this medication because it did absolute wonders for me. A game changer. That's, that's awesome. I'm glad it, it did. Was. Once you um, obviously overcame your addiction and you were at a, at a much better stage in your life, what was, what was that, what was that feeling for you to, to, to leave that old life behind? And, and, and now you're all of a sudden now starting a, a, a brand new, a fresh journey and heading towards success and 
what was that like? Um, from coming from being so sick, um, I was sedated for six weeks. I was isolated for six weeks. I've been on a ventilator. I've been tied down to the bed. I've been denied water all in my healthcare process. So having the small freedoms of like, I now open my closet and there's nice clean clothes. I open my fridge or my pantry, my freezer, and there's food. I go to my drawer and I can pull out a clean spoon that's not burnt on the back. My life completely changed. Once I had dealt with addiction and that was kind of behind me, I am now uh, almost seven, eight years in April sober. I began to start to focus on my mental health. And as I did the work, and again, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, therapists, counselors, medication, and a lot of personal growth and development took place before I even started getting back into art again. But I found that the better my mental health improved, the better my artwork improved, the better my stuff, the quality of my stuff came out. Since December 1st to date and last night included, I have done 20 paintings in 60 days and only wow. four turned out kind of rough. They just need some work, but I'm at my peak. I'm at my best. Uh, had the solo show in the fall. I'm artist of the month at the Wisdom Tea Shop Cafe. The article, this interview, and I've been asked to come back to my old high school, Beale Art, and speak as a visiting artist. Incredible. I'm sure all those students are going to be so inspired and they're going to look up to you uh, in the future as well. Um, congratulations. Hoping to also break the stigma of being a suffering artist and it's just like no those are the old days and yes. it's just like we don't have to be suffering anymore and we actually create better work the better our mental health is exactly okay um you briefly mentioned this a little bit earlier but um what kind of support did you get during your process did you get a lot of good people in your life who, who, who supported you through? um i had a lot of good people and i had some challenging people um, through hospital care, um, definitely faced a lot of stigma um, from the hospital situation, but thankfully I didn't let that deter me. Um, I also had a mother that wasn't going to let me give up on me, and we took advantage of every free resource that I could get my hands on. Um, that included, like, again, um, everything from shelters, detox, group homes, counselors, doctors, therapists, um, psychologists, addiction services, CMHA, DEA, ANOVA, the RAM Clinic, anywhere and everywhere that I could go to get help along the way. But I think one of the hardest challenges was knowing that these were out there. All right. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of like when you when you first got back into making art and into into being an artist, what what was it like for you to finally go back to it and doing be doing what you love, what you've always wanted to to do? I was originally I was just very afraid that I had lost it, like I had lost the art aspect of me that makes me me. Um, so once I had dealt with my addiction and started working on my mental health, and that was steady and balanced consistently for some times, I just started doodling and coloring and crafts. I got into acting. I did paper making and mobiles and greeting cards. It all led me back to painting. 
I originally had gone to Beal Art in my grade 12 year, I specialized in printmaking. And then back when they had grade 13, I did uh, fiber arts at Beal. When I went to OCAD for five years, I did material arts. But painting I had always loved and was naturally good at, yet I received no training as a painter. I had taken design and I had studied the masters of art. But it was my mom who also took me to museums and galleries and plays, even during the addiction years, that helped me to never lose touch with the real artist that I am. Okay. And when, I, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned earlier, but when was that, when did you first got back? Like, when did you start making your art again? Your artwork? Last January, one year Last ago now. Last January, wow. Wow. Big so in that time, I had a solo show at Blackfire's Bistro. I have five paintings at the Wisdom Tea Shop Cafe, and I got 20 more upstairs in one wow. year. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, if someone that- had told me in my early days of recovery that I would have days like this, and it's just like, I would have thought you were high. And it's just like, that's not going to happen <laughs> to me. I am happy, almost annoyingly happy every day. I'm living my best life. And every day that I'm not in the ICU on a ventilator or tied to a bed is a good day. Again, when I can go into my studio and I have canvases and materials, clothes in my closet, food in my fridge, like I'm eternally grateful for my recovery journey and all those who helped me along the way because I could not have done it alone. And for those shows like the Wisdom Tea Shop Cafe and the Blackfires Bistro, for the second time being there, it's about trusting the process, all of it. And it's not a journey we take alone. I got you. You definitely deserve everything good that's been happening with you. After everything you've been through, uh, it's it's, you know, it's the very least that that you deserve. If I could give a message to your listeners and the students that are for uh, listening to Fanshawe Radio here, it's just like, if you find yourself struggling or even second guessing whether you're developing a dependency or an addiction problem, I know some of us even use alcohol to help cope with these pressures of exams and student loans and friends and maybe a couple of drinks just help me to be social it's just like I would urge you to connect with your student services it's just like they have the resources and access to these resources and the ability to make referrals to help you with some of these programs what was so amazing for me with the Suboxone program when I first started it was a half day Monday and a half day Tuesday now it's like three or four days a week almost full time so they have that flexibility And that was very appealing to a lot of people because most of us felt that we had to go away to treatment to get better. And when you have job or kids and it's just like it's or being a student, it's just like you can't leave. So some of these programs are extremely flexible. Confidentiality and privacy goes along with that. They're accredited. And you can still be a student. You don't have to lose your semester because you think you're having an alcohol dependency or you're smoking a little bit too much or experimenting with drugs and you're liking it a lot. And it's just like some of those are the warning signs that go along with it. But those resources out there, they're flexible. So you don't have to lose a semester. You don't have to go away and find arrangements for your kids for six weeks while you're in treatment. You don't have to go away. You can stay home and still go to school, still do your studies, and they can accommodate and help you along that. Okay. All right. 
What a great message. If I could also maybe maybe put a bug in your ear about something. It's sure. Like, it's raising awareness about like the difference between addiction and dependency in the early stages. Um, being a former student myself, um, being away from home, new community, new school pressures, OSAP loans, bank loans, trying to fit in. I think it's also important to help identify those early warning signs of addiction. I've done a number of uh, talks in the past. Uh, my other volunteer position is as a patient partner at LHSC. Okay. And I'm the only one there that speaks on addiction, mental health, and sexual assault. And I advocate for patients. Um, I had family support that got me through, and I had medical team that wanted me to get better. Um, when I first arrived in hospital, I did not look like the person that you're seeing today and my care changed when my mom walked in with her diamond rings and her Prada shoes and that we found um, quite disturbing that me in my 30s they were kind of dismissive of me and stigma and judgment and I was just another street person no one cares about but when my mother showed up my care changed and we realized that there's no one has a mother like I do and I wish everybody had her to advocate for them. So when I do my talks and my opportunities to share my story like this, it's not just my story that I'm bringing to the table. I'm bringing together the voices of people that don't have family support, that are struggling to get it through, and they have no one to get through. If you're on the streets or on OW or disability, it's just like your resources are very limited. You don't have the extra money, and you feel like you can't afford any hope. But for, hope doesn't have to cost anything. No, shouldn't have to. Thank you, Brittany, so much. Uh, once again, pleasure meeting you and talking to you and getting to know more about your story. Um, and looking forward to talking to you in the future, too. And and maybe seeing you as well around, and I'm sure I will. So, This is not the last you've seen of me. I'll no, no, it is not. Absolutely not. <laughs> as an advocate, it's just like my work is never done until the last no. voice is heard. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time and reaching out to me. That really made my day. This has been the Mindset Reset Podcast. I hope you, the listeners, were able to get something out of today's episode. I've been your host, Felipe Brunner, and thanks for listening to Almost 107.